This week's episode is sponsored by Helio Gas Detection and Rising Suns, the award-winning brewery in Cork. Hey everybody, this is Richie from the Metal Cell Podcast. I'm delighted to welcome back Jude from Acid Age. How are you, man? Hey man, how are you? I'm keeping good. Rich. We touch a COVID, but other than that, it's all good. <laughs> yeah, we're all good, man. You can't breathe it through the screen anyway, unlike others that tried passing notifications and stuff on to me there. Uh, Joe, thanks again for joining us. Thank you. Happy New Year, guys. Yeah. And you, Joe, happy New Year. The last time we all, three of us, were together was uh, April 2021, imagine. So you still <laughs> you still have the COVID, Jude. <laughs> I I've had it all this time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I've had so many vaccines that it was just like acupuncture, just yeah. like a pet cushion. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we're just out of Christmas. Did any of you buy any stuff music-wise? Books, CDs, albums? Did any of you make any purchases over Christmas? Um, I probably... Uh, I didn't go too mad this year. I behaved with everything, with, with drinking and all. Um, but for me, it's sort of all about making a big deal for the kids now, you know? And okay. They had a little Christmas, so that makes my Christmas, really, you know? Yeah, yeah. So you didn't treat yourself to any pedals or anything like that, anything at all? Um, no, but the, the girlfriend got me some some nice stuff for the guitar, you know, some nice uh, sprays and cleaning and stuff to clean the, the rust off your metal and your hardwares and all that. And that some nice nice. Microphones and stuff. Yeah. Do, do you probably do the same thing? Um, you probably do the same thing as me, man, where like at Christmas you just sort of sit and look at all the Gibsons that you're thinking about getting whenever we'll become rich and famous. Like. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> You mean you're not there already, Joe? No, well, fucking, I don't fancy shelling out insane amounts of cash for something that mightn't like. It's weird. Like, I kind of started playing guitar whenever you could go into shops. And, like, being left-handed, it's harder. But it's the weird thing about buying guitars online. Sometimes you'll buy one and you'll just get it and immediately go, oh, this doesn't feel right. It might be out of the house quicker than you imagine, you know? You You should maybe before you even do an online purchase, see if you can have an opportunity to play a guitar, you know, sitting down first for a while. And I actually know a guy who's a really good friend of mine and he won't buy any guitar unless he plays it first. And when I say he plays it first, he has to like get a good two hours of playing it before he'll even oh. think about it. You know? yes. Our old guitar player, uh, Kevy and Gamma Bomb, what he would do is he would go and buy a Gibson, like Black Beauty, like 3000 pound guitar. And play it for two weeks and then send it back. Yeah, and he still does that. <laughs> and he did it with the three three five and an SG and everything, just because he's like, no, it doesn't feel right. Back you go, you know. Fucking hell! And what what one did he eventually settle on, Joe? Do you know? Well, he won't mind me telling you. He's a grumpy git. Like he hasn't settled on anything yet, you know. But at least with buying Gibsons and expensive guitars, they kind of retain their value, you know. So it's not like buying, you know, an Ibanez RG. Four hundred pound guitar that's going to plummet, you know. Yeah, he's actually buying something that'll go up in value. So, I guess mm. there's that. <laughs> Do you get anything, Joe? You... Anyway, musically wise, for Christmas, did I get anything uh, apart from COVID? No, not really, man. Um, no, I'm. I got like a new um, audio interface for recording drums and stuff. So, ah, how much does that say about? Did you get one of the big scarlet ones? Yeah, I got one of the big scarlet yokes. Um, what was it? Uh, Hick, uh, it was like five hundred quid or something like that. So yeah, we've one that we used to do our demos. Their class. Yeah, very, very, very good. And um, before Christmas, I got this uh, plug-in, and it's the best thing I've ever bought. 
um, and it's just a silencer basically. So it means that like you stick it onto your snare channel and you're only going to get snare. You don't get it removes all bleed for every drum basically. So ah. does the job. Uh, but I suppose we'll talk loads about home recording as we get into this anyway. Yeah. So yeah. what so. what I got was Jane's addictions, pores. Brenda Mullen wrote it. It's fucking class. The what is it? An autobiography type thing, or it's a biography um, of Jane's addiction, taken from around around. I don't know. It was a ten or eleven big massive interviews he did with him through Spain. Remember that magazine, Spain? Yep. Yeah. So I'm getting back into my Jane's addiction buzz after I don't know how many years, um, especially since they're playing for the first time in <laughs> Ireland. I'm I'm guessing it's the first time because if they had played before, I surely would have gone to see it. And then I was in Golden Discs in Cork looking for a bargain and they saw Metallica kill them all, the new re-release, 40 bucks. And I went, nah, fuck that. So <laughs> what I did come away with was the Rolling Stones, Exile on Main Street. Lovely. For, for 16 euros. It's a, yeah, it's a double vinyl, high speed mastering audio. So it's class. I'm delighted with that. I'm fucking desperate, man. I stopped buying vinyl because I was doing things like buying Escape from New York soundtrack and then just using it to roll joints on and listen to it on Spotify. <laughs> like, you know, I was just like, right, I need to stop buying vinyl until I start actually playing it again, you know? Yeah. Uh, I was guilty of that for a while too. I actually gave away all my vinyl. And the only thing is, it sort of isn't my era. It was never really like, Whenever I was going to school, it was all CDs. Everyone was buying yeah. CDs. You know? So, yeah. like, I still have all my CDs and I still buy CDs. So it's just, mm. you know, yeah. it was pointless me having this big rake of vinyls that I wasn't listening to. <laughs> and uh, actually, now that you mention it, Jude, um, Semper Pesimus, that CD booklet that you brought out was class. Oh, thank you. Yeah, the we and, and it sold out. It has indeed, yeah. We actually we we done a couple of runs of it, um, and they they all went. We've still got like a couple of press copies, you okay. know? <laughs> but um, other than that, we we sold out. And there's none left on Bandcamp. And we don't sell them at gigs anymore, so we're chuffed for that, you know. And there's a few people that have talked to us about re-releasing it or reissuing it, whatever you say, and. Uh, We'll see. You know, we we don't want to get into anything. A big one for me is I don't want to do a dual case with this release because with uh, Sam Pessimist because with CDs kind of not being the all the rage at the minute, it's kind of nicer to have. If you're going to buy it, you need to make it sort of collectible, I suppose. Yeah. So I like the wee digi book, you know, with all all Aaron's dad's artwork and stuff was in it. So. Um. Yeah. Yeah, it just seemed if we were going to reissue it, we we would nearly need to have the right deal. We, you know, it's not even about having um, making money off it or whatever. It's just about having it presented correctly more than anything. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> Who did you go with in the end for that, Jude? For Samper Pessimist. Yeah. What company did you do to get the booklet? I think we did it through Awesome Merch. If you know them. Okay. Okay. Yeah, they they were really good. And how many copies did you order in the end? It was we've only done three hundred total, but um, we done it in three separate orders of one hundred. Yeah. Like. Okay, sensible. Yeah, fair play, man. So, have yeah. you news? What's the story with you anyway? Like twenty twenty four, is there going to be an acid age 
get together in a studio somewhere? Absolutely. Yes. We've been turning down all gigs because we were working on new stuff. We've all the album demoed. The demos sound class. We could actually release the demos and they would be good enough quality to release, but we just want to see if we can get kind of that uh, crystal clarity, that sonically enhanced studio sound, you know, so uh, we've turned down all our gig offers that we've had for 2024 mm -hmm. just to stay in the studio because I'm sure Joe will be able to tell you as well, you know, you're working on an album and then someone fires a couple of gigs at you, you know, and then you have to stop working on the album, get the live set ready and, you know. Yeah. But uh, all last year, it was a great opportunity. We got to play all the new songs. We got to try at least one new one live at mm -hmm. different gigs. So we got to see how people responded to them. And then we could go back and make changes too. Yeah. Sensible approach, man. Good fun. I actually heard that Megadeth did that on P-Cells. They actually gigged all those songs before they recorded them to see how people would respond to them. Yeah, yeah they certainly did. And I think what they actually did was... They did that, then they went in and recorded it for Combat, and then went out and did some more touring, and then uh, Capital Records bought the record off Combat, and then they went in and did more guitars and more singing and all that kind of stuff, you know. It was a really good interview, actually, with the guy, Paul Lanny, who produced it, and he was saying that, you know, people don't really realise this, but all the snares and kicks on P-Cells all have triggers on them, you know. So they're not trigger triggers, but like they're samples of different frequencies and stuff to try and make the snare or the kick have more of a splash, you know? Wow. I love the drums on that album too. Yeah, it's great, great, great record. Um, so here, man, uh, tell us about, like, obviously you guys probably same as all of us, um, used to go to studios to make records and now we kind of do a lot of it, as much of it ourselves, really. So what way does that work for Acid Age these days? Oh, uh, well, just we everything. We, we generally do like going into studios and recording um, just because there's a certain amount of, there's a nice thing about going away to record your album, you know, and I enjoy that. I enjoy that sort of uh, holiday aspect of it, I suppose. Mm. But uh, I, I really think that the benefit of home recording means that we can make the demos, we can take as much time as we want and basically record the whole album and have it as good as we can and then we can actually present it to someone and say hey this is what we're looking you know what can you add to this you know so that's the approach we've kind of went for well and you guys do uh, your studio work in in country then like so have you got an engineer or a studio that you'd like to use no we do a different one every time like the last one was analog and this one will be sort of uh, not fully digital not totally analog sort of mic'd up cabs but you know indian interface type thing yeah um and uh i but i'm happy to go into campers or vsts I, I really have no bias you know i like to try something different and every album maybe has a different uh recording style and sound and, hmm. I, don't uh, know. I guess it's, that's the weird thing isn't it it's like if you if you always have a clean signal you can you always have the option of going back to you know uh mess around with your guitar sound as much as possible whereas like I guess like when we all started out, that wasn't really the case. So you were just kind of using whatever your effects pedal or whatever was the like the preamp and that was it. Yeah, plugging your zoom in. <laughs> yep. I used to do that. I remember plugging a Hughes and Kettler head into a PC that was like running Windows 98. Like <laughs> it still sound great. <laughs> yeah, I bet. 
And when we were talking the last time, Jude, you loved the whole idea of analog, especially as a band recording live in the studio yeah. together. Are you go is that hopefully going to be eighty yeah. percent of it, or we still do that? Um, record the the live tracks as a live band. You know, there, there's no click tracks with us or anything. It's yeah. you know, really is Aaron that sets the tempo, and then afterwards I'll go and layer usually a second rhythm guitar, some leads, and then all the vocals and stuff will go on too. So uh, it's I still love the semper pessimist analog thing but as i was saying like i'm just not opposed to trying anything yeah and it was expensive too wasn't it oh yeah it absolutely was you know you're not just paying for recording and the engineer's time and the studio hire and all that you're also paying like per reel you know yeah it's maybe (laughs) like 250 pound per reel you know and you might need seven i guess dude is that one of those things that kind of like back in the 80s i guess those reels because they were so much more commonplace it was like buying, you know, if you take uh, Polaroid photos or whatever now, buying eight Polaroids is like 20 quid. Mm. So it's like now that it's a rarity, obviously they just stick their hand in. And yeah, absolutely. Bloody, if they're the only show in town, what the heck can you do? Like, you know? Exactly. Yeah. It's like and trying I, to buy a PlayStation 2 controller. <laughs> I actually have one of them still. Are you going to go with Joel Grind, Jude, or are you going to shop around? Um, We'll see. At the minute, I don't know who's mastering it. Uh, if Joe's available, he's, you know, he's quick, he's, yeah. or he's cost effective, and he's a nice guy to chat to and negotiate with. So I'm happy to work with him again, but that'll come down to his terrain schedule and what we're doing at the time. Sort of up in the air about mastering, but um, we're happy with that too. You know, there's really no, no rules there. Hmm. Oh, yeah, I saw then that you're going to do a live release as well, live in Belfast, that's at age. Yeah, we just recorded that. That was um, on the 30th of uh, December. And that was a class gig. It was that uh, Christmas aftermath one that James did. And it was mm. sold out. It was max capacity in the line. Really? So we were absolutely delighted. So uh, I actually, we, we had sorted out with the sound engineer, Brian, um, to if he could record it and send us the stems and he said he could and we were delighted and then when we were on stage i actually announced it because there'd been a few great bands on already and stuff and the crowd was nice and drunk and warmed up mm-hmm. uh, it meant when i announced that we were doing a live album on stage everyone just went ballistic you know so they all wanted to get lots of spill onto the microphones which i i totally approve of you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah awesome. that was a good idea man yeah was it something that you were thinking about for a while? Yeah, do you know what? One of my favorite albums that came out last year was that uh, Power Trip Live in Seattle. I oh. thought it was a release, you know? Yeah, that's class. And, and uh, I, I wanted us to have something something like that, you know? Yeah. It's a really yeah. cool idea, though, man, as well, uh, documenting like each phase of the band like this, you know? Yeah. So, like, by the time you've got like seven albums out or whatever, you can be like, yeah, okay. So, like, we've got like a live release from each of these, documenting the tour, what the set was like at that stage, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Do you guys um, have any live albums out yet? No, nothing. Well, actually, we haven't even really been that good at keeping a record. Like, actually, we have more stuff from back in the day, like, as in the demo eras and the first album and the first European tour with like a bunch of that. But we never actually really 
kept or even we because back then we used to carry a, a like a mini disc player around with us and you could plug it just straight into the desk and get that but well yeah we've just never really bothered it's something that like i think it's one of the hang-ups of you know being in this era is that like back and richie you'll probably remember this back in the early 90s and stuff vhs's were like such a big thing like bands like panther or skid row would do like a vhs and it yeah. would like have like a bunch of live songs on it but like loads of like hanging out backstage and like all that sort of carry on and we'd love to try and bring that sort of thing back and do something more like that instead of just doing a live gig because like i don't know if you guys agree but i think in my opinion there's very few like thrash live things that have really it's not like classic rock it doesn't transfer as well live sometimes there's things like decade of aggression um the Sepulchre Under Siege one, you know, from uh, Test Testament live at Eindhoven. It's good, yeah. Uh, and the Anthrax one from Hammersmith, it's great as well. But yeah, I think there's like, was there ever a good Megadeth one, dude? Was there? Or, I think. Um, I suppose you could say the. Uh, there is one, the all right. 92, the 92 Hammersmith one was a big one, wasn't it? Yes, um, it was good. And the Rude Awakening one as well. Rude Awakening, that's the one I was thinking of, yeah. Is that it? Yeah. Rude Awakenings? Yeah, I think so, yeah. It was, live, uh, it? It was but, one of those uh, things where you, it just made you think, because I think the front of it's got like a kid <laughs> falling off a bed off a roof or something, and it's like in that Metallica video as well, and you're just like, ah, oh, lads, pain, <laughs> is, pain is constant. <laughs> I'm sure we're, yeah. we're missing out on an, on an Exodus one as well. Absolutely. And um, I, you know, going back to your VHS thing, to, um, another one that I remember seeing whenever I was a kid and thinking was awesome was uh, Clip Them All. I remember seeing yes. that when I was like 12, thinking all the clips on it were brilliant. You know, maybe Gamma Bomb should do something like that. I, yeah, I would yeah. say so, yeah. Um, but Stick yeah, in a no, load but... of patches and badges as well, Joe, and have it as a box VHS. Yeah, but... Release it strictly on VHS. <laughs> You never know. It's one of those weird things that with music that everything seems to be growing in popularity. Like even cassette sales and stuff are going it's up just massively. Sheer nostalgia. Yeah, yeah, but like I think it's just it's like one of those things where everything's going to eventually be like that. Like eight tracks will be like that, and you know, mini discs mm -hmm. will be like that. It'll just be a huge market for every type of media, you know. Yeah. Like Jude, like you've a settled lineup now for since what 2013, isn't it? Pardon. You've a settled lineup since 2013, more or less. With the in me, Jake and Aaron, just as a trio now since about 2018. Yeah, but uh, but when did the boys join? Well, Aaron joined in 2016, and Jake joined in 2013. Yeah, 2013, 2016. And other people coming out, and other yeah, guitar yeah. You know. But like when you see something now, like when. Just it was just announced today. I don't know if you spot that or not, but uh, Stuart has gone from the crawling, like the bass player from the crawling. Not long before we started this, I saw that announcement. Yeah, and the drummer from Wild Heat left as well. Left yeah. Wild Heat. But like you know, when you see that Jude, you kind of get worried, going "Fucking hell!" <laughs> you know, you can't take this for granted. You know, it's you've only a certain amount of time to get shit done, recorded and stuff, and then like life gets in the way, as we all know. That's it, you know. Um, you know, the, there's the case as well. I remember when Paul left Gamma Bomb, and I remember speaking to him, and he sort of was just saying that he had, you know, a mortgage and a, you know, house and 
think of messes and you know whatever else and it's just life gets yeah. in the way I suppose. and yeah. i think like a big thing like especially in our band for like paul and luke kind of leaving the band they had both been very like listen i've done kind of everything that i wanted to do here you know and i'm fed up getting early flights and all that kind of stuff you know but again i, I guess it's one of those things that like it's like any band whenever people leave you're kind of nearly like well, you know, if we went back in time to now, you know, with you, what you know now, you'd probably be a lot more understanding and try and keep people around more. But I guess the younger you are, the more you're like, right, well, I don't care if you leave the band, do whatever you want, like, you know. Mm. But that's a good thing. Like, we've all maintained to be good mates, which is the ticket. One of the weird things, I guess, like with you guys, dude, is that, like, because you, you went from being originally a three-piece, didn't you? And then expanded out, like, into the outer limits of expanding out and then shrunk back in. So what what was it like the idea of like adding a second guitar player and then adding a fiddle player and all that kind of stuff? Um, it was just a fun experimental process where you know there was just lots of laughter about it. Like you know, yeah. it, the second guitar player was the classic, let's thicken the sound. Yeah. Um, the getting Addy to sing for a couple of years was just because we were getting on with him great as friends and you know. And it was handier for me because I just kind of wanted to focus on being a guitar player and sort of study more at that. And then getting getting the violin, and that was just comedy. At first, it started out as sort of a joke, and then it was like, actually, you probably could write some interesting stuff. You know, if you, mm. if you could have, like, a violinist playing sort of razor riffs, it would be... Yeah, like there's some bands like the Waterboys did it with really good effect doing like electric violin and wah wah violin and stuff like um but it, it's kind of cool like it's nearly like you know starting out doing kind of like I guess would you say that like at the very start it was like a kind of poor man's version of what you are doing now Absolutely. so like I think it's like you've gone the whole way around and now like you're doing what you were doing at the start but doing it amazingly like you know yeah well I mean I think like a lot of bands um, we kind of started out as a lot of thrash bands. I suppose we started out as basically a shitty punk band, a, a trio yeah. that started in the garage, and uh, just lots of practice and lots of gigs and maybe some harsh criticisms along the way, and you know just stuck at it and kept going. And I think in in Ireland, I think a lot of bands hold around the five year mark. So yeah. there's this, you know, if you can last ten years. There's this sort of rule that, you know, oh, well, them guys have, you know, made made their statement, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, like, that's what I was saying there with the crawling, because they're only a three-piece, and Stuart leaving there is a massive fucking gap to be filled. It's just but they're very, they're very liked, so they'll not have any trouble getting a bass player who will absolutely love that gig, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, even just when we were on about collaborating there and, you know, writing music. Um, so, Jude, like, taking a riff, we'll say that as a melodic idea, making it heavy, as in compared to taking a melodic idea and making it a trash song, which is your preference? Um, I don't have a preference. I can't even think about it like that. It just, you know, different riff calls for... Uh, different process, I suppose. And a lot of, some riffs come from, uh, come from out of the blue, like 
where mm-hmm. the hell did that come from? You're, you're sitting playing and then you land on something by accident. Some riffs come from you're trying to learn one of your favorite riffs from another band and you learn it wrong. And then <laughs> you, you sort of mess with it a bit to make it your own. Yeah. Uh, take artistic <laughs> liberties, you know. <laughs> and then some riffs come from the other lads in the band suggesting things or maybe them playing something and you interpret it a certain way or mm. someone hums something, you know. There's no right or wrong answer, you know. It's just where it comes from, you know. Yeah. Just what it is type thing. <laughs> Would you agree with that, Joe? Yeah, like, I, I don't know. It's, it's one of those things that's so hard to quantify, like, especially songwriting process like i think thing obviously with acid age is like you guys are such great friends you know like and the camaraderie between you is, is so tight and that makes honestly everything way way easier you know mm-hmm. i find that like whenever you hear about bands who like they don't get on with each other or like they're arguing and all that sort of stuff all the time it's like no wonder they want to kind of split songwriting credits and like you know they're always arguing over directions it's I think everything gets way easier if you're if you're buds, like you know. Yeah, but I'm on about kind of riffs in general, even with writing for Devilsome Joe, approaching that. Um, yeah, well, like I suppose you know it's one of those things that like with the with Gambom, I've been playing guitar, uh, writing writing songs since we started and all that, you know. And um, the Devilsome thing was just like my friend wanted to do a kind of '90s thing where he was like, yeah, like imagine if the songs were kind of like load meets ghost or something like that and i was like right well that sounds around my level of expertise on the guitar yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah no i like doing that kind of stuff and it's actually it's really good for gambon because occasionally what would happen in the past is we would write so many songs like maybe write 30 songs for an album and then pick the best 12 or whatever and there'd be like extremities in the leftovers so there'd be songs that were trying to sound like skid row or there'd be songs that were trying to sound like you know I know Slayer or whatever. So, like, what we try and do is like, I know expel all that kind of stuff. So you're just left with the stuff that's good. And I think like Devilsome lets me get some of those sort of more metal or rock type riffs out, and so yeah. they don't end up on bomb albums with people going, "Why is there keyboards in this bit?" <laughs> yeah. Did you enjoy that album, Jude? Devilsome or EP, I should say. I haven't heard it yet. I need to check it out. Yeah, it's excellent. No, Cheers. it sounds good. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Um, so, Sorry. dude, uh, have you got um, have you got like a timeline? Uh, like, do you know when you want to have the album out, or do you want to try and get a label for it, or what? Where's your heads at it? I know about it. Daily, like to say it's out late summer. Okay. Uh, I I do know that. Uh, I think James is going to release it for us. He he's going to do the pressing. Yeah, yeah, he um, seems to be he seems to be doing such a great job up there like you know yeah. he's doing amazing work for, for so many people I don't know how he's balancing so many different bands at once and not mm-hmm. pulling his hair out you know but uh, every time I speak to him now he's just such good energy and such you know he's just so happy and full of positive that's the key and, isn't it as well energy yeah yep. absolutely you know and uh, you need a guy that will fight your corner do you ever meet someone that's been a promoter for over 20 years and they're a grumpy bastard? You know? Whereas James is never like that. He's always it's... like smiling and happy to see everyone. And, you know, yeah, and then a stranger. Kind of like, I'll have a wee glass of wine. Maybe that's the secret. It's the wine. But, <laughs> but he yeah. always seems happy to see everyone and polite. Totally. And like, you know, like James is also like, he's a passionate guy about this sort of stuff. Like he'll put on bands that he loves, that he's like, 
you know, this is an important band like Raven or someone like that who might not necessarily be drawing a ton of people, but like he's like, I want this, I want this gig. Look, you know, there'll be like maybe fifteen people in the room, but he wanted to bring them over type thing. Or <laughs> played him, it's great. Yes, um, but yeah, so, so like, would you? What do you think then? Would you ideally like like to maybe? You were saying about getting the guy from Toxic Holocaust into. Uh, mix it, but like, would you would you think of working with a big a bigger producer if he's had an opportunity to do so? I would love to work with a big producer, but it's all funds, isn't it? <laughs> you know, it would be class to get like a Fleming Rasmussen stamp on you on your album. Yep. You know, is he still um, doing stuff? Is he? He is indeed. Yeah. yeah. You know, he's a great guy to talk to about all that sort of stuff. Um, Jarvis from Night Demon, who's yes, now an Irish guy. He's living in Derry uh, these Greg days. But um, yeah. they like they did a song with Fleming. They did a song with Steve Albini, who did the Nirvana records and stuff like that. And he was like, you know, you'd be surprised. Like, there's some of these guys out there where, like, if you're just saying, "Listen, we'll give you four or five hundred bucks for a day in the studio," like they'll be like, "Yeah, okay, look, you know." Yeah, mm-hmm. another guy trying to mix there is Brad Bolt, right? Yeah, yeah, he's really good. He was on the podcast because, like, I know um, Howard from Partalon, they're getting Brad to mix. The album as well so like i mean and brad is a fucking huge name but again he's looking after the lads you know that's great yeah it's really cool so how far are you willing to innovate and push boundaries with this album jude uh, i guess we'll see what what happens but uh i know the oh, song cards my... close to the chest huh <laughs> <laughs> but i know the songs are my favorite and a lot of the songs on it are the hardest ones to play as well but in a in a really fun way um, and I'm doing stuff with the guitar that I've never done before that, uh, you know, it's forced me to write it a certain way and think about certain uh, passages and key signatures and stuff. Hmm. So I've had so much fun uh, working on it. Um, I can tell you the album's going to be called Perilous Compulsion, and I know for a fact there's going to be seven songs on it, and it'll nice. be in around 45 minutes in length. Okay. So. Brilliant. And so, dude, this is going to be um, this is going to be the first album recorded with your new picking technique. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. It is. Go on. So you've got a guitar there. Show Richie till he's unbelievably blown away of that. Like, it's not um, <laughs> a new picking technique. Yeah, yeah. So I, I stopped using a guitar pick, um, a bit over a year ago, I suppose. Uh, publicly, the first gig I did without a pick was actually those eval gigs we did in January um, last year. Uh, so yeah, you were supporting them down Limerick. Actually, that's where I met you then. Yeah, that's right, actually. Oh man, we need to talk about that night. <laughs> really? I don't remember fuck all. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> oh shit. No, you were I... awesome, man. You know what you did? Huh. You you says, you says to me, do you want a pint? And I says, I go on. He says, what do you want? And I says, I'll have a pint of Guinness. You went, no bother. And you went off and you were gone for ages. And I, I thought, oh, you must have got distracted or maybe speaking to someone. That's all right. So I went, I was like, I know what I'll do. I'll find him and I'll get him a pint of Guinness. And I'll go up and go, there's your Guinness, you wanker. So I went and got you a, a pint of Guinness and one for myself. And I walked and we met. And when we met, you were holding two pints. So we both ended up with two pints of Guinness. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. That's a great yeah. way to be. Yeah, on <laughs> <laughs> okay that's yeah. good wasn't any fuck anything embarrassing <laughs> so the picking thing um okay. 
one of the things I, I love is, do you know when you see flamenco music and they're doing what you call rasquados, so one, two, yeah. three, four, five, right? That sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So what I'm trying to do is work out ways that I can get that. You know, if you get like big black metal type chord sequences, you know, incorporating that sort of thing and using a lot of thumb pecking stuff. And um, even for leads and stuff, there's a nice warmth to it. And one problem that I was having with uh, the guitar was constantly blowing my load. So I'd pick up a guitar and go, and I, I kind of wanted to find more tasteful phrasing and just nicer melody lines and stuff. So it forced me to think about that. And then over time of practicing and working at it, I, I was able to actually get the speed in as well. But um, a lot of the guitar lines are maybe more thoughtful and more melodic, I suppose. Uh, so it's just been a, a far nicer process and far more fun for me and and everyone I, I sort of people keep mentioning it at gigs and stuff um yeah I, they, I couldn't believe it man whenever i saw you guys support me well i was like man the rhythm sound like because it's something that i would suspect would make the rhythm playing sound less tight and it does the opposite it sounds way more precise and like way 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 tighter look you know yeah that's it and I, I think it's because people have this notion in their head that, you know, the peck equals attack or something, you know, but it's not the case because uh, a lot of the attack of this, the sound is coming from your amp. So if you put a wee bit of mid and a wee bit of treble in, you're still going to get that attack. And mm. you've got different methods of striking. You can use your nail, you can use your thumb, you can, you know, use fleshier parts of your fingers or, you know, or you can claw, or you can like slap on it, or whatever. There's just so many more options now. Um, oh, am I, I trying to think, Jude? In the metal scene, in the with the bigger bands, does that? There's an obvious one. It's fucking wrecking my head. It's not uh, animals as leaders, is it? Is it? Yeah, yeah. Your guy Tosin, I think he might use a pick sometimes. I'm not sure. Hmm. The people use a uh, the guy from Blondie, Chris Stein, uses five uh finger picks. So does you know the ones that you put on? Really? Like yeah, the, he uses five. Yeah, yeah, and does all all the stuff like that. Like you know, Fuck. that's awesome. So, like no, Jude, but... would you say your strength is is in rhythm or lead? It's all the same thing. There's one guitar player in the band, you know. Yeah, but we'd say like, do you enjoy? Even working out solos, I would just want to get into your mind in relation to your thought process. You know, you're you're saying it's natural and stuff, but like you can have someone that's really good at rhythm, someone that's really good at lead, and also a, a soloist who's like just that's his thing, you know. So whereabouts, say, if you to chop you up as a personality in relation to a guitarist, what would be the the tree defining? I would say rhythm's more important, but okay. uh, but I love playing leads, and to me, a guitar solo is the icing on the cake. But, yeah, you, know, you do need to have a kick, you know. Mm. So, uh, I would say rhythm's probably more important, but uh, I I would hate to never play guitar solos again, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and for a while, that was what happened, wasn't it? Really, but you know, the advent of grunge, even Kirk Hammett fucking disappeared up his own hole for a while. Well, he says that, doesn't he? In um, in some kind of monster documentary, like whenever yeah. they're saying about not putting solos in the album, he's like. If we don't put solos in this album, it's going to date it to this exact time of like whenever it was fashionable not to have solos. Like, yeah. but like, I think 
everyone in the room's uh, reaction was just to be like, anyway, so what were you saying, Lars? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then Bob Rock won him over by sort of saying, the rule isn't solos or no solos, you know? So they ended up with solos. <laughs> Well, it's something like we we would because we have two lead guitar players we're always trying to have solos but I think the last album there was like two or three songs on it with no solos because yeah. just sometimes that's the way the song ends up being arranged like you know mm. absolutely we've got um, we've got songs like that as well like Slave Girl is one of our most popular songs and it's got no solo yeah but there's enough riffs in that to make up for it <laughs> <laughs> deadly song so like this is a weird one now obviously. Same as ourselves, you kind of you come up with your own brand name of like how to describe your kind of music or whatever. Like, but like, would you say would you say you're more of a thrash death band or a death thrash band? Like, like if you <laughs> say, if somebody didn't know about the fucking particularisms of how you describe your music, like you know, um, I don't know. Uh, if 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 you sort of had to explain it to someone. I would say we're probably somewhere between Blind Illusion meets Sadus or something, maybe. Yeah. Sadus was definitely one that I would have thought was coming into the equation, yeah. I don't know if it was that you inspired me, Joe, because I was listening to Blind Illusion on the way home tonight. Brilliant band. Awesome band. Rat of the Gods, that album. Fantastic. Class. That's yeah. awesome. Jesus, there's a blast in the past now. Yeah, that's mad. Absolutely. But, but, um, I think actually, did Kirk Hammett produce the Sea Asylum? I think he did, didn't he? Yeah, but his name wasn't allowed to be on it because Electra Records or something wouldn't allow yeah. it. So, so it's uh, one of those things that it's just known that yes. he did, but no one's allowed to put it in print. Another it's kind of weird, isn't it? Because like he produced the Death Angel demos as well, and like you, by all accounts, you would think that that's what he would be doing now. Like you know, he's doing that, but he's just like, I like living in Hawaii and. Yeah, Miss William Earl, like, you know. <laughs> playing vintage Gibsons. Do you know? Dude, did you hear? Did you hear about him fucking uh, breaking Greeny again? Like, he said yeah. that basically what happens is he gets like so many free guitar magazines a month that like there's a big pile of them, and like that. he, he leaned it against it and it fell over and smashed into bits. Like, <laughs> oh for fuck's sake, you serious? Yeah, but yeah. he was on like you know everyone who's owned it has smashed it to bits. Like it's like you know the more glue you add, the better it sounds. Like you know. the thing is, the thing about wood glue is that you've got the comfort of knowing it'll never break at the same joint again. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but do you know, do you know that line in Sanitarium that's like, do you know that we line? Do you know that bit in Welcome Home Sanitarium? Yeah, the wee Baroque bit. Oh, yes. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, that was actually, that part of guitar playing was written by uh, Mark Biederman from Blind Illusion. Really? Uh, what happened was Kirk went to Mark Biederman. Mark Biederman's known as like a deadly guitar player and Blind Illusion's going since 78. And mm. he says, hey, uh, Mark, I need to I need to do this solo in the song and it's frying my head. And he says, I have the demo here and if I play it on my boombox, would you mind taking a rip? And, and I just can't figure out for this nice clean section. It was actually Mark Biederman who wrote that and then taught it to Kirk. Well, that's, funny enough, in the Master of Puppets book, he says that whenever they were writing the album, he used to go up to his mate's studio all the time, and that's where he would record the riffs that he was bringing in to demo and stuff. So that's Is that Mark's then? Must have been off at his, yeah. 
and he never well, mentioned him. Well, I think it'll be not a drop. Sure, Gary Holt said that whenever you know the bit, he didn't write any of the riffs for Creeping Death or you know the ones that Kirk Hammett used for it. But he said it was his idea to come up with the die 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 bit on top of that. Like he's like whenever he's watching them in front of seventy thousand people, he's like, oh, I should really be getting at least like you know a couple of quid for this. Like you know, <laughs> yeah, it's like the uh, the straight out of the boat kill them all. A lot of the the start and legs were. From the no life to leather demo as well, so mm. seems to, yeah. Well, seems you to... know, you don't get to become a squillionaire by giving people songwriting credits. You know, no. you <laughs> tell them to piss off. That's why they never re-released the um, no life to leather demos, is because like Metallica said, they wanted to re-release them on vinyl and stuff like that. Uh, but they wanted to give Lars credit for mechanics or whatever, and Mustaine said that he wasn't willing to share. He's fucking dead, them. right? Too. Mm. Fuck that. Mm-hmm. That's why they're still bitching about, well, Mustang is still bitching about him, you know, because, I mean, I think Hetfield contacted him going, look, look, there's certain things here that we need to iron out and then we can all move on. And he says, yeah, yeah, no problem. Just take Lars off Metallica Militia and give me the credit for it. And mm-hmm. he said, no, it's not happening. So good luck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, Dave Mustaine infam- infamously isn't so humble either he's good at running his mouth as well so i think it's a bit of they're as bad as each other there yeah <laughs> let's not get it's such a shame man they're not going to get friedman in isn't it like it's just sort of it's like going for the the cheapest option like you know in the in the trousers department i was talking about this to someone the other day and i was thinking does it really make a difference who's playing guitar for megadeth now because you just know mistaken writes every note and lyric on it and then yeah. hires insert guitarist name here to go yeah. and do her solo. There's an element of that to it, all right, but you'd like to think Marty would have a fucking bit of an oil influence on it. Like just well, the, thing yeah. is, like, in the last album, what was it you called it? The Sick the Dying and the Dead. Is it really going to be that different if it's that exact same album with that same production, the same artwork, the same vocals, everything, but it's got Friedman solos instead of Keiko solos. You know that way like I don't think the record will be like better or any good really like but i think i would like to see it live because i think that it would eventually lead to you know ellison coming back and it being worth going to see them and like that's that's the issue is that like if you've only got like one original member mistaken and the ticket prices have gone from like 30 bucks up to 55 bucks like you know yeah like a lot of people out there are kind of like it's the same with like anthrax or like whenever slayer were going around they were like yeah well i've seen seen this exact same set you know, many mm-hmm. times, like, so I'm not going to go and say it again, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like, I'd love to see that happen. But I think that the problem is that, you, like, they can get the guy that got in, got in at the minute for a few hundred bucks a night, and Marty would be like, I, I want a quarter of the, of the gate, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Kiko, isn't it? No, it's Timo. Kiko's gone, man. It's Kiko. Jesus, there you go. It's a fucking revolving door, man. <laughs> Timo Montessori, I think he played in uh, Winter Sun or something. Okay. You know, he'll be a good guitar player. You know, you you don't play in Megadeth and be a bad guitar player. That's the rule. So, June, do you know when you're doing the rehearsals there with with the lads, like how much of improvisation comes into the songwriting process? Not every single time we play together, there's a wee bit. That's where the jazz element is. Yeah. You know, when you see old bands from like the, the 60s and 70s and like it could just go off at any time and turn into like a disastrous free jazz jam 
right? <laughs> yeah. That's our age. <laughs> you know? yeah. The only difference is we're doing it with trash ribs. <laughs> yeah. You know. Like, did the song get longer and longer in rehearsal? Like, as in, will a song start out as like a four minute first course kind of song and then just keep getting bigger and bigger? Or, like, do you then have to go in and get the lumberjacks on and be like, right, we're taking this out, taking that out? Or a bit of both, it... too, actually. And do you know, a real problem is Jake will usually buy a new effects pedal because he's got a real problem with that. Like, he has to, you'll hear something or watch a video on something and have to buy it and give it a go. So he'll get like a new pitchfork pedal or a new delay or, you know, a bit crusher or something. And then he'll have to experiment with it. And if we start jamming on something, he'll play on it and do stuff with his paddles. And he plays as much paddles as he does play bass. Like, you know, yeah. yeah. so, uh, so exactly what you're saying. We have to sometimes cut the fat a wee bit. Um, because not everyone wants to hear 20 minute songs, you know? <laughs> but, uh, it's, it's still all good fun, you know? So it, it starts off always as the verse course, verse course thing. And then it just ends up going AWOL. It's the plan. Sorry to cut across you, Rich. Um, no, go on. Is the plan kind of then to like not do any more touring or gigs until the album's finished or he's going to maybe do a bit of after yeah. you've got some recorded or what? Yeah, until the album's finished. But if we get offered something worth doing, we'll do it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. If we get if we get a class support slot for a band we really like type thing, then yeah. we'll do it. But otherwise otherwise we'll just stay focused, you know. Um, we've been offered a couple of headline gigs between January and March and we've just said no, we're not you know, we've closed that chapter until the album's done, you know. Do hmm. you know what we were saying there about Blind Delusion, Jude. Um, mm-hmm. So what's your go-to song or artist when you need a boost? Uh, at the minute, Wayne Shorter. <laughs> Who? Uh, Wayne Shorter is a jazz sax player. But um, okay. uh, for for metal at the minute, I'm, I'm really enjoying... Two albums I'm really enjoying. Ironic that you've asked me this. Here is one of them's the new Sadis, and the other one's Bats, the new Gamma Bomb album. That's two. Ah, cheers, dude. Nice. Oh, yeah, classic. It's absolutely your best album. Without a doubt. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, thank you, man. I said yeah, that I as well. Yeah, I tried to be more guitar-y on this one, like, you know. Uh, and I think, like, John and Domo are, like, weird. Like, I think it was a while whenever John joined the band, there was a bit of a, like, what are you doing in my garden kind of thing from Domo, where he was like, okay, he's allowed to do two solos in this album. And, like, I think now they're working a lot more as, like, a team or whatever where they can do. Now they're, like, the Paul Gilbert and Bruce Goulet thing, you know? <laughs> awesome. Well, yep. you know, some of John's solos are absolutely fantastic. And the, yeah. the head that's going on in that album's absolutely amazing, you know? Yeah, and, like, I think it's, like, it's kind of having the best of both worlds and the style of, like, Domo is like more of a kind of bluesy kind of, I suppose he's a bit more Paul Gilberty, whereas like John definitely, he loves speed, like so the faster you can get. And like he, he's like turned around to me there the other week and was all like, you know, man, never really listened to Kill Em All before. It's actually really good, like, you know. <laughs> like spent all of his early days just like listening to shred music and stuff like that. There's loads of like stuff like that that he was never really into. Yeah. Uh, just shrapnel, shrapnel record stuff. <laughs> well, he was yeah, speaking to death metal. Yeah, yeah he he's, still, he's still getting on great with that. Like, I think John's got a good ear for that kind of like the Florida type 1990 yeah. oh. 
type vibe, you know, which is great because the thing that I don't like about death metal is I think he gets so much stuff that's kind of like a regurgitation of the kind of Gothenburg sound look or whatever. And it's, mm. I don't know, it, it all sounds a wee bit like someone like Arch Enemy type death metal yeah. or something like that, you know. Whereas like, I think like, it's actually weird, you know, the North of Ireland has just got such a weird lineage of death metal bands yeah. running around for 30 years and you know, I don't know if there is something in the water, but like, would you say, like, dude, like, it's it's weird the way there hasn't really been too many thrash bands that have been going for that long, but there's some death metal bands, like, condemned wanting to go for like, god, twenty five years or something worth it. Absolutely, it is strange. I think um, the thing about the scene up here is it's so eclectic as well. You know, yeah. there's every type of metal band, but there's not loads of one type of metal band you know mm. yeah and that's good too you know yeah it is sort of if you're in for example if, if you're in a death metal band you get to be a big fish in a small pond you know mm. so that's um but i sort of have the same thing with death metal as you do i think uh like i like death metal but i'd be picky yeah yeah um so for me, it would be the same as John. It would be the Florida, you know, 87 to yeah. 92 type thing, you know? Yeah, that's what it could arch out. It's funny, though. Like, I think the, the kind of ambient, like, an experimental nature of Acid Age's music, like, exposes you guys to a totally different audience, you know? Like, kind of in the same way as Cryptic Shift and stuff like that, that you could go on before Voivod and everybody would love it, or you could go on before, like, you know, Suffocation and everybody would love it, you know? So, like, it's a really, really good catchment of different different sorts of people that'll be listening to your band, you know? It's handy, too. Exactly. You can play it all, all the songs on acoustics with, like, a wee Tim Parney drummer or something, and we could probably play Weddings, get us all tuxed up, you know? <laughs> Yeah, you could just sing all the lyrics and like you know, I don't know, Italian or whatever, and everyone would think it was very romantic music. Yeah, yeah, just scat. <laughs> Have you ever thought of that, Jude? Working with someone from a different musical background. And uh, what way, like playing music or? Yeah. Um, I sort of have. I've um, I've guested on people's albums and stuff, and even you know, sort of like done things where it's maybe wee girl folk singer with acoustic guitar and she wants a guitar solo in one of her songs type thing. I've done all that kind of thing. Okay. I actually did a guitar solo. <laughs> I did a guitar solo on a gospel album. Yeah, it was cool, man. Cool. That was good. That's point. where the money is. Yeah, it was where the money was. You know. <laughs> um, I, I was like, uh, no, I don't know that this is bad. We'll give you 200 quid. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to play a track off the last album just to give everybody a reminder of how good it was. Uh, Semper Pizimus.
listen to that Jude what about the vocal styles you're going to play around with much vocal styles with this album my uh, my new year's resolution last year on, on in 2023 I was going to work on my vocals and so I actually took a couple of lessons and stuff and okay yeah yeah so funny enough um, I've spent a lot more time than ever working on actual phrasing and technique and uh, learning to actually sing a bit as well, rather than you know just the, the sort of grunty type. You know, um, the guy, um, the guy from that answer, uh, Cormac Nielsen, he does vocal lessons. So he does. He's supposed to be really good. He's a brilliant singer. Philly. Yeah, Philly was thinking about going and doing that. The thing that I always, because I used to back in the day, me and Paul and John or whatever used to do a, a Sodom tribute band. So I did and just do like songs from Persecution Mania or whatever. Oh. And I find it really like. I didn't find the tone hard to do, but I find how quickly he delivers lyrics yeah. very, very different, difficult. Because like it would be really like yeah, da, 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 yeah. like that kind of like death that, metal thing. It? <laughs> yeah, it is like you know. Philly's brilliant at that too. Philly's always been good at that. Mm. Quick, you know. And that'll be the kind of thing that like um, any song that has that sort of vibe. What we would sometimes do is do a demo or something like a uh, metal idiot. And just like sing the lyrics for like um, uh, beat it or whatever over the top of it, because like if you sing the lyrics for any song and that kind of it like it'll give you ideas of where to put the singing in, you know. So if you just take take that as a jumping off point, it's not going to sound the same, but it might give you some ideas of how you can phrase the vocals, like you know. And weirdly, that that's the thing I'd say like most about playing music is at the end of the day. Most of it is about how people relate to the singing. Yeah. So it is, you know. Um, I, I've noticed as well, uh, for example, my girlfriend always comments on that. If she hears 
a piece of music, she'll comment on the singing first every time. Yeah. You know? And I remember we were sitting watching something on TV and someone was singing and uh, she was saying about, oh, he's got a lovely voice or whatever. And it actually kind of caught me off guard because I was like nearly blanking out the vocalist and trying to hear the orchestra that he was singing on top of. You know? mm. Yeah. So it's really interesting. You know? Yeah. Programs to receive different things. Yeah. Absolutely. So and do you play the Sodom tribute band, Joe? Yeah. Well, like I think we only did like three or four gigs, like obsessed by sodomy. Were you a three uh, piece or four piece, Joe? No, it's just a three piece. Yeah. It was just me and because me and Paul, whenever we'd write songs, we'd just start playing Sodom songs. And then after like writing for years, we're like, actually, we know how to play all of, you know, Obsessed by Cruelty and Persecution Mania and Agent Orange. So we should do a couple of gigs. I think we like we did one in London and like one in Dublin and one somewhere else. And then we're like, OK, turns out there isn't actually a lucrative uh, fan base for <laughs> Sodom. It's amazing because they've been fucking to Ireland a shitload of times, really. Yeah, they have. They've been here uh, a ton of times, and they're still a great band. Like they're one of those. Like I think that's one thing that I'd say about Teutonic thrash bands like that and Tankert and stuff is they're really, really dependable. Like you know, they've been like bringing out stuff that like right. Maybe if you're not a big Tankert fan, it's not going to change your world or something like that. But the albums have never been disappointing or yeah. or sucky. Yeah. You know, there's a few dodgy creator albums like you know the the whole electro kind of gothy phase of creator was sort of a bit yeah and again see going back to that kind of gothenburg sound thing i think that that's a problem i have with more recent creator and a wee bit with destruction is the stop sounding like themselves and the start sounding actually a bit like someone else like you know yeah. but there's always a few class tunes on every recent creator album mm. and then a few kind of melodic kind of sexy yeah. ones as well yeah and it's sort of, I remember thinking this about Slayer. I'm going to watch what I say here because this is the kind of thing to piss people off. But I think if you took the best songs from the last few Slayer albums, you could have made one like Whopper album, you know? Yeah. Like in the last. Same with Megadeth as well. Like, you know, the last. Yeah. Like, like, even albums that are considered like okay, like Dystopia, you're talking about like four or five actually good songs, you know? That's um, so and that's one of the things that you have to kind of give to Metallica is like right maybe the style of it isn't that good but generally their more recent albums there seems to be more good songs on them than recent Slayer, Anthrax or Megadeth or one band actually who actually have done a great job since they've got back together is Death Angel I think I, that their music nowadays is probably better than yeah. the stuff they wrote in the you know, I think yeah. uh, I think that about Testament as well I think they're actually getting better with age yeah you know? I think they're definitely tighter than they've ever been, you know. Yeah, I'm just but, happy Skolnick is still with him, you know. Yeah, I'd hate, I'd hate to see him go. I think Big Chuck's a class singer too. Like he's yeah. one of the, I think he's one of the thrash singers that could do anything. He can sing melodic, or he can scream, or he can roar, or do the mm. death map, or whatever. He's just got an insane range well, of. Check out on um on YouTube his uh, Sepultura audition. Tapes are up there, so they are. I haven't from whenever I haven't heard it. Max left. Yeah, they're pretty good. Like you can probably see why they went with someone else, but like it, it'd be interesting to see actually what would happen then. Because like I guess if he had got that sepulture gig, there would have been never testament would still be not in limbo, wouldn't it? Yeah. Like, you know? Absolutely. What do you think about sepulture wrapping up? Shame. 
Uh, they're they're wrapping up so that they can do a reunion next year. Uh, <laughs> okay. grab. Well, you know what? Well, I think it's just a kind of thing that, like, you know, for anyone, like, the, I I love actually the like the more recent albums that they've done, mm. like uh, Quattro and like Alex or whatever. Um, well, here, what like someone? Said, I think I thought this was interesting, right? So everyone's saying, "Oh, I think Max and Igor is coming back, and that's why they're wrapping it up." But you know what crossed my mind? Do you ever consider that Andreas Kesser might be in Kerry King's new band? Like, yeah, like I suppose he could be, but I, I think that at the end of the day, for him, Sepulchre at the minute is more profitable because he'd be like. Well, you know, me and uh, Paolo Jr. are the original members and we're going to pay Derek and the drummer guy a decent fee. But I think the issue is that, like, Derek kind of is probably at this stage kind of a bit fed up being all like, listen, you know, you can only pretend to be somebody else for so long or, like, you know, it's going to be a hard thing because, like, I, I, again, I love Sepulchre as they are now. I've never seen them with Max, but I could probably understand why people who have seen them with Max are, like, I would rather go and see the original. And if you're probably being offered pretty decent cash, you can only turn it down for so long. And the, what they probably ended up saying is, listen, Derek, we'll give you X of a see you later fee and, you know, we'll take a year off and then we'll get, get together and do this, you know? Mm. You great. Like, I honestly think that if they were going to come around, they would probably be able to go and do the Point Depot in Dublin and the Odyssey in Belfast, you know, if they had the right support bands with them like you know mm-hmm. yeah absolutely well they could probably do all arenas if they did the reunion thing yeah you only have to look at yep. fate no more like the exact same thing you that's know? true yeah and like i think the the, the like, difference there is that fate no more make so much money from their royalties and like make so much money just from doing festivals that it's kind of like the sex pistols they can do it once every 10 years and then when the wells run a bit dry do it again but they don't like hanging out with each other exactly which i guess like sepulcher for the last 20 years have been refusing people being all okay okay we'll give you a million quid to do this festival actually we'll give you two million quid or whatever and they're like right okay mm. we'll do it look you know yeah yeah there comes a point where someone has the right number you know <laughs> i would imagine pantera reforming like but is it a reformation not really like you know Bad. i think I would be very, very surprised if, like, you know, when they said, should we do this, if, like, Dimebag and your other guy's pictures didn't start spinning about on the wall or something. <laughs> they did not seem like they would be they would be on for people going and doing it without them, you know? Yeah. But, you know, I, I think the thing is people want to hear the songs, don't they, Jude? Like, it's, you have to give people what they want in some regard, so I don't begrudge them doing it. It's just, it wouldn't be the sort of thing I would go But you see, with. the difference with Pantera is they want to hear, the, as Jude was saying, it's the singer they want to hear. Mm. You know, so yeah. it doesn't matter about... Ah, come on, now, Jude, as a guitar player, surely you have some issue of umbrage with how tightly fucking Zach Wilde is not the right guy for this gig, really. Like, you want someone who's fucking... You want to do it note for note, not... Uh... Do their interpretation, but... true. Um, I'm not really a big enough fan to even comment, but I would say, you know, probably finds Dimebag would probably pick Zach Wild just because they're old friends. Yeah, they're mates. Yeah. Yep, totally. That's definitely 100% true. I just think that, like, maybe if Zach Wild was 25, he would have been like, okay, I'm gonna do this 100% accurately. Yeah, whereas I think now that he's like a older guys like well you know i'm just going to do my stint on it and it'll be fine well yeah. gary holt did the same 
with Slayer, didn't they? Gary Holt did yeah, the nobody... cry learning Jeff <laughs> There you go, like. Just, like, I don't think anyone was going to give off. They'd just be like, here's one horse wanking solo replaced by another horse wanking solo. So it's like, there's nothing to complain about there. Like, you know. Yeah. I love Gary Holdy's class. <laughs> he is brilliant. Like, yeah. I, don't get, I love the way he's one of the few guys that you can <clears> think <throat> of, Rash Maple, who actually like is able to make a living just selling his old shit. Here's my old guitar strings from Slayer mm-hmm. Game. 15 you know yeah passes yep. and he seems to have everything kept aside you know fair play Good on him. like that's fucking it's such it's such a cool thing seeing guys like him getting that slayer gig or like one garcia getting the uh, body count gig it's like these guys have been playing in underground metal bands for 35 years and like you know having a hard hard enough living doing it you know yeah like those bands never sold millions and millions of records but like they're able to go and play massive arenas in front of like millions of people here that's class yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. no i think it i don't begrudge gary hope being able to make a living you know because mm. he's been at it enough time and He's off. Do you think Exodus should add a third guitar player then? Should they get Rick Honnold in and do that? Or what do you oh, think? You know what? I think it would be nice if Rick came back and Lee went and focused on Heathen. Because I think that last Heathen album is really it's good. fucking class. Yeah. 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 I, I, I get the feeling, man, that if they did the same approach that Death Angel did, they could be out doing their own headlining gigs the way that Death Angel are now, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like if they concentrated on building their, <laughs> their base, you know? Heathen's thing seems to be like just every 20 years we'll throw an album out and it'll be class, you know, it'll yeah. be worth yep. it, but, you know. Yeah, but ultimately, like, if Heathen would attract the same amount of fucking crowd as Metal Church or Armored Saint, in Ireland, they'd be mm-hmm. lucky to fill out fucking voodoo, like. I've but been there they... watching Metal Church going, this will be a sellout, and you're kind of going, what the fuck? But Armored Saint was the same, dude. Yeah. Like, I think there was like 70 people at Armored Saint, and I'm sure Metal Church was the same. Yeah. Like, and know. so, like, Heaton would definitely get 70 or 80, but would H take a gamble on him? I doubt it. Yeah. That's old situation. You know, the way to do those kind of things would be to mix it up. Like, I would put like Heaton and Toxic Holocaust together, or like, you know, Austin Metal Church or something like that, or, you know whatever like acid age and like defiance or something like that or like you know so that you like you were getting at least different different sorts of people there because yeah. what happens a lot of time with these sort of bills is people are like let's get artillery and onslaught and whiplash and they think that they're going to draw 500 people but they're just making the same 120 people three times as happy you know <laughs> it's not it's not like a whole bunch of different yeah. people are going to the gate yeah you, you nearly be better having like a more eclectic bill of bands you know? mm. <clears throat> yeah and the weird thing is like england has got so many cool kind of like death and hardcore bands like you know sort of things like benediction and cerebral fricks and all these kind of bands that would be perfect for supporting those kind of bands yes. coming over here and people would love to see them you know yeah, right yeah. but yeah i suppose that's just it's different times you know back in the day there seemed to be a lot more crossover between death and thrash and stuff and punk and like again, same dude, you were saying, like, you know, when all of us started out, we were playing punk gigs, you know. Absolutely. Whereas now, when was the last time you played a punk gig? <laughs> you know, well, you did the Dangerfields gig actually last year, didn't you? Oh, that was with you, sure. <laughs> Wasn't that your 
was it was your twentieth anniversary. Yeah, he definitely what? played oh, with Dangerfields. Uh, yeah, yeah, and like you know what, they're one of my favorite bands, and like dude will tell you the songs that they've written for their next album that they keep delaying are great. Like aren't they? Like? They're lethal. They're so good. But uh, yeah, the Dangerfield seems to be. I love the way that that, that Griswold kind of has that Chuck Berry <laughs> type thing where he'll just show up and have a band, you know, whoever the backing band is type thing. I know, and you're like, where did these guys come from? And it's always like a bunch of Scottish dudes who are like, well, man, are you the new bass player? And he's like, I think so. Like, you know, we're just got put in a band here. Like, <laughs> I think he's recorded this set, uh, second album maybe four times, you know. Yeah. And I said to him, I was like, dude, what you should do is ask Jude to play guitar and I'll play bass on it and we'll just record it over the course of like a weekend and it'll sound killer. Like, and he's all like, yeah. And then he had like this horrendous new logo and I was like, oh man, this is not looking good. Yeah. <laughs> but he's a legend, is Andy. <laughs> when do you hope to have the live album out, Jude? Is, it, is this going to appear before the release? At the minute, so hopefully by the end of February. Okay, that's good to hear. Brilliant. Yeah. Cool. Are you just doing the live and dangerous thing of having to go in and like edit out all the swearing and all that sort of stuff, or like, um, are you just kind of leaving it all natural? We're leaving a lot of it really nasty. Just um, we're going to go in. There's some parts where we uh had to, not so much trigger, but just like EQ the drums a bit better and stuff, you know, because maybe yeah. certain things there's bits lost and whatever, and um, and. Just maybe a bit of amp hiss and stuff, but other than that, it sounded really good. We were really chill, so just normal mixing type stuff, you know. We were pretty happy. Do you, do you like? Are you glad that you guys are sort of doing that sort of stuff? And like, because there's a certain DIY sort of thing where it's like, if you get good at doing that sort of thing yourself, why would you ever ask anyone else to do it? Like, because you're invariably going to be asking somebody who doesn't know the music as well as you do. Look, you know. Yeah, that's true. Um, well, it's it's only good to be able to look after your own product, you know. It's sort of like being head of quality control, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and saving a, f a few bob, man, while you're at it. Like Richie, it must be the case of like, would you say over ninety percent of the bands that you have coming in are doing everything DIY or whatever? Because like, no. there's some people, like, uh, Michael Richards in, in Dublin or whatever, like who's, you know, really really busy doing bands, but there's a whole other side of the scene who would never really consider going to something the like that. The big change you know? was COVID, Joe. Yeah. And you're seeing the results of it now where a load of bands just went, fuck it. We can't get to any studios, etc. And they just started um, doing it themselves and quite happily started going, we can actually do this and just give it to a guy to master and save a, yeah. save a fortune. Sort of, you know? sort of went two ways, didn't it? It went yeah. either a lot of bands just honed their craft with writing, recording, even social media and then other bands shipped the bed and folded and just didn't survive it, you know? Yeah. Mm. That's so weird even whenever you hear dude like big bands like Anthrax or whatever talking about that. They were like, Yeah, when COVID hit we just didn't do anything. We didn't even like email each other for like a year or whatever. And you're like, I would have been going nuts if I didn't have music or something to do. Like the fact that you had an album to make you're like, Great, this is brilliant, like you know. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, no, you do end up, um, that was the big thing about the COVID stuff, you know, for the first while everyone was drunk and it was all fun, wasn't it? <laughs> and then after a while it got a bit boring, didn't it? You know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, for, for all people's talk about, you know, you see 
middle-aged men posting about being lone wolves and stuff you know it's like you don't you know how much you actually need to interact with people so that you don't go mad and pull your hair out type thing, you know? <laughs> fucking lone wolves jesus christ <laughs> So define <laughs> success for Acid Age in 2024, Jude. What are the goals? Um, do you know the way you're supposed to say, like, I'm just in it for the music and, you know, I'm passionate <laughs> about the art of my craft? Well, I would like a 1968 Dodge Charger and I would like a house in Malibu and I would like a dojo in Japan. Nice. And I would like, yeah, I'd like a wall of martial arms that you can see from space. And uh, just every guitar I want, you know, gold discs, you know, <laughs> the wall behind you covered in gold discs. I suppose that too, you know, I don't mind if it's gold discs or Spotify strings, really, but you know, <laughs> as long as the walk is coming in, right? <laughs> so, yeah, near the two shall meet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, that's perfect. Okay, I'm gonna wind <laughs> well, it down unless you have anything else to add into it, Joe. No, I was just going to say, dude, like, I'm really, really looking forward to the next record, yeah. man. And I think that, like, it was such a brilliant uh, leap in quality from the stuff that you had done before uh, to the record. So I think everyone was sort of sitting being like, wow, this is this is going to be great. Like, you know. Yeah, thank you. And as well, Jude, your live performances um, have been fantastic, man. I mean, you really work hard at that. And it's a great asset to have that you're genuinely looking forward to seeing a tree piece like yourselves and just really enjoying it for what it is, you know? So. Yeah. It's been awesome. So, well, thank you so much guys. It means a lot that you've both had me and being able to, even with COVID and stuff um, that I was able to do this because when we agreed to do this, Richie, I was in perfect health, you know, I was yeah. really looking forward to it. And then from the start of the week, I've just been uh, crashing, you know, so. Well, we can uh, put an old mark in time there on January. This yeah, is what yeah. Jude was feeling like, and hopefully we'll say December next year when Acid Age are up for Album of the Year, man. <laughs> we'll definitely raise a glass or two to that, won't we, Joe? Yep, certainly, man. So watch Can't this wait. space. Keep an eye on Acid Age socials, the live in Belfast one, which I'm really looking forward to hearing. It should be out February, early March. All goes well. And... Maybe we might have a single off you by summertime, Jude, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's great. Okay, Jude, say hello to Jake and Aaron as well for us, won't you? I will do, yeah, absolutely. And thank yeah. you so much. And thanks again, Joe, for coming on the show. No worries, man. Hope you feel better soon, Jude. And I'll see you soon, guys. Yeah. Yeah, happy new year, guys. Yeah, so you were listening Cheers. to Jude from Acid Age. And uh, crucially, everybody, support your local metal scene.